welcome to another wonderful, spectacular, extracurricular episode of Normandy FM. We are here to talk Dragon Age. We are here to talk companions. I am one of your co-hosts, Eric Van Allen, alongside Kenneth Shepard. Ken, how are you doing this week? So for some behind-the-scenes shit that just happened right now, we had to start over because there was a technical issue, and Eric still fucking said the word that he knows that I don't like. What? Extracurricular? <laughs> You're going to do- like, just... <laughs> undermine the like the importance of each episode i've always thought that extracurricular was a bad word because it makes it sound better it's like extra it's 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 part of the curriculum and it's extra you're like this is additional learning on top of what we've already learned from playing dragon age ken but it also implies that it's not essential Look, I'm just trying to talk my way out of a hole right now, and the person who's going to toss me a rope is one and only Mike Williams, who is joining us for the first time on the show. Mike, how you doing? I'm, I'm doing well. It's just, I, I kind of wonder, like, so extracurricular to me says, like, here's the classes, here's the main stuff, and then extracurricular is the other stuff. So wouldn't this be, like, the classes? Like, wouldn't this be, like, the presentation? I'll like, see. the actual class and not the extracurricular part? Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to... I tugged on that rope and there was a boulder on the other end that Mike tied to it. And now it's coming down on top of me. <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah, man, because like, I don't know what's on the other end of that rope. Do you want to pull that rope up and find something not good on it? It could be you. It could be a demon. I don't know. So. Yeah. I, I like to think that all, all of our, our episodes here build on top of the curriculum. You know, we're here to add to the discussion. We're not here to be the discussion be the only discussion we're adding on top of it okay okay so the curriculum is the general discourse around dragon age across all people and and what you're saying is you're 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 like a club you're like a side club (laughs) oh yeah we're the anime club of dragon age (laughs) finally (laughs) see ken i knew i'd pull that one out eventually (laughs) did you though I did, I did, and the, the listeners at home will uh, verify that, but we we have Mike here to talk about the one and only Cassandra, it's, it's finally time to get back into some companion talk after our very hectic and demon-filled week last week, we were talking about uh, somebody who, she, she doesn't really deal with demons ever, you know, like Cassandra, you know, it's demons is not really her thing, you know, Ken, it's not her thing at all, definitely won't be any demons in this no. quest. No. <laughs> Damn, you're gonna leave me hanging like that, Ken. You're not even I gonna give no. me a courtesy laugh. Mm. Ha 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 ha! All right, <laughs> Mike. How I, I want to start off your relationship with Dragon Age, uh, specifically like when it, when I went to, you know, full disclosure. When I went into my work Slack, because we both work at the wonderful US Gamer, uh, and said, I need somebody who can do Dragon Age. This was a while back, actually. You were one of the people who spoke up. And then again, when I was like, hey, we need somebody for this Dragon Age episode, I slid into your DMs. I was like, hey, Mike likes Dragon Age. So, Mike, tell me about your relationship with Dragon Age. So... One of the things is I looked at my, I forget, it was for something else. I looked back through all of my Steam purchases. Dragon Age Origins is my first Steam purchase. Oh, really? Like, yeah, so I, I think it was like a pre-order to get the 
Mass Effect armor or something mm. like that. I forget what it was. Uh, so I actually like purchased a game on Steam, and it happened to be Dragon Age. But uh, I, 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 I love Dragon Age ish like uh, like there's <laughs> there like i really love origins Oof. uh because i i i'm more on the tactical side of things and and origins was a little bit more of that in terms of combat and then dragon age 2's combat i don't like at all but i really like the characters so that was good and then inquisition I was fine with I was fine with Inquisition uh, overall. Like I like the characters, like the plot, and uh, the combat was fine. Like it was inoffensive. I, I'm, we we can make it work. Um, so I enjoy the series. I actually enjoy uh, Dragon Age probably more than I enjoy Mass Effect overall. Oh really? I uh, did not expect that. Yeah, yeah. It's it's weird to me. I I think what I like about it is probably I feel like I saw Ken. Uh, cover this on Twitter at one point is the fact that it's three different characters mm. so it feels like I'm exploring the world overall ra- rather than just getting one main character story see so. finally finally we have an <laughs> anthology structure defender <laughs> on here to balance it out against Ken's rampant rants against the anthology approach <laughs> I, I i don't disagree with his with the general thrust that characterization uh and themes cannot carry over from game to game because they keep having to establish a new character mm-hmm. yeah but from the side of exploring the world itself mm-hmm. i think the anthology idea can work and i right. i find that enjoyable in Dragon Age. Mm. Uh. Now, if only they would do it right and finish stories before they move on. <laughs> <laughs> like, what a concept. <laughs> this is true that they are like sort of, they, they tend to set up ideas and then they're just kind of like, well, either A, please play the DLC mm-hmm. uh, for us to actually build upon a concept, or B, well, we'll get to that eventually and then right. they haven't because they don't have the same story team from Mm -hmm. game to game. So, yeah. I think for Dragon Age 4, they're carrying over at least some of the Inquisition team. I know that a lot of the writers, like Patrick Weeks, are are pretty similar. So I'm hoping that that at least builds some continuity. But we've gone over many times on this podcast (laughs) the the shattered hopes and dreams of a Dragon Age 4 that, that does soulless right <laughs> I, was, I was see and i was about to say like can you imagine like dragon age 4 coming and it not have been about soulless at all like what if they had just completely were just like <laughs> and now we're gonna go to our lace and do something completely different for dragon age 4 guys <laughs> we're wow we're going to we're going to the deventer uh imperium and we're just gonna do some fun stuff over there it's gonna be some fun <laughs> hijinks uh you know things will get weird and it'll be great yeah yeah pretty much pretty much oh mm-hmm. so when when i brought you on this and to be fair i conscripted you for this episode this is not a um you know we've talked about before on the podcast for the way we did our initial blanketing or our canvassing for guests was that we kind of reached out and we're like hey you know 
we're gonna bring you on the show what are you know you're like your top three companions or whatever so we can find you somebody that you like talking about for you i was basically like hey you like dragon age you like cassandra so let's start with that baseline mike you like cassandra uh i do i uh am the kind of person not what's, what's the word i'm looking for not boring characters i like repressed characters so i i kind of like Cyclops from the X-Men is, is my mm. favorite X-Men period. Uh, just, I, I enjoy that idea of orderly repression of all of the rage that is inside you. I feel that that, that speaks to me. Um, and Cassandra is definitely one of those characters. Mm. Uh, in that there is a lot under the surface going on with her um whereas on the the top end she's like hardier captain america uh for you know it's like i'll reform everything everything will be a-okay i just have to get through this i mean she will kill somebody if she got to but she would prefer if everybody just did things for justice and goodness in the chantry Mm -hmm. And God and Jesus <laughs> <laughs> and Dragon Jesus, um, right? Yeah, and, and you know, under under the surface, she's got a lot going on. You know, like you know, hey, I want to, uh, I I want some of the softer side. I'm also trying to figure out if God is real or not. You know, <laughs> those those kinds of things that everyone deals with. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's one of you know, and Ken and I have talked about this leading up to this episode, but like a large portion of dragon age inquisitions storyline is about faith and like the idea of when this world's structures, you know, the things that is built up as gods and mythology suddenly start to become much more real and much less what people envision them to be. How does that change the way that people who had faith in them, who believed in them, like change who they are as a person? Uh, and I guess, Ken, you could speak a little bit more to that on on how Cassandra's journey kind of sets all this off. Yeah, cause, I mean, well, not to jump like too far ahead, like, because like when we get to, like, when we first meet her, she has a, she asks this question, like, do you believe in the Maker? And I'm like, no, I don't. And then it immediately like sets our relationship like on a, off on a bad way. So like she's having to deal with like all these, um, like the, the supposed symbol of the thing that she has followed her entire life. Is actively pushing against what she wants, and that's not. And it's not even just like, oh, I. For for me, it's not like it's not even that I don't believe. It's like I am actively like any chance I get to undermine what you're saying, what people think. Uh, like I'm not putting on a face for the Inquisition to like maintain this level of like, Androthian decorum and like, kind of like. Be unquestioningly faithful towards these things, um, and so like. Th- it's not necessarily that there's like a sort of smugness to my character when this is, when like her quest is over, but there is like that point where she and I reach an understanding of like, even if we don't agree, necessarily agree about everything, we are acknowledging that something has to change here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, I I think it really it, it it's maybe worth establishing. Let's say upfront, like Cassandra is part of the Chantry. Um, or, or was a former member of the Chandri, let me say. She was a seeker, but that's not quite... And I think this is something that I, I gained a new appreciation for when I was playing for this episode. The seekers aren't, like, Templars 
and I think in my mind I'd always just kind of connected to the two because I was like, oh, okay, they work for the Chantry, they wear armor, mm. they stab mages, like that's that's a Templar. Uh, but the Seekers are actually kind of a compelling faction for me because the way that they're set up and and the way that Cassandra kind of sees them is that they are the people who go out and seek to do the Maker's will. Like the Templars are kind of the I guess for lack of a better term, like the bouncers, the thugs, they're the muscle of, of the church, but the seekers are like these inquisitive minds in a way. And I, you know, they do come from the inquisition, but it's, it's an aspect that leads Cassandra to even when you're going through these, these moments before you even get to her companion quest, you kind of have these little like flickers of her having curiosity and her wanting to question things and then suddenly unquestion them and be like, wait, no, it's the maker, right. the maker, but maybe I need to ask some questions, but nope, nope, maker, maker. <laughs> yeah. um, I was glad that we played Here Lies the Abyss before we did this episode because that has the big reveal that we talked about last week with uh, Divine Justinia being in the fade and cassandra being like oh oh that's that person i thought was dead and we're here in the fade real we are people in the fade right now seeing ghosts and spirits and stuff um which you can have like a little scene interacting with her afterwards where she's talking about i'm trying to write down what happens because there should be an historical record of mm. what happens but I don't know how to describe what happened because I don't know what the fuck I just saw. <laughs> um, and and it's like a cool setup to this character. I like the the comparison to Cyclops, Mike. Like the idea of this character that is normally very calm and composed because they have to be by their nature. You know, they wield a lot of power, and that power can be destructive to people around them. And so they have to be this very calm and composed character. But every once in a while, you get a little glimpse. You get a little. You know, every once in a while, Scott Summers decides to take the sunglasses off, just yeah, let loose like, with eye beams. Like, like every now and then, like the the smile breaks through, or mm. once you get further in the romance, like mm-hmm. the, the the softer side comes out. Oh yeah. Uh, or the anger, like how dare you do this, and mm-hmm. and that is a good layer underneath a character that is. Uh, sort of focused on order and justice in on like the basis non-emotional level um and i mean uh, have did, i assume have you guys seen dawn of the seeker i, I, I don't know if you okay i have not okay uh, it's been I, a minute, I mean, but yeah i saw it yeah so in like dawn of the seeker was essentially cassandra's like origin story from like the 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 beginning of her time and part of that is all about you know people having there's a traitor in the chantry and dealing with blood mages and her mentor uh sort of betrays her somewhat Mm -hmm. and that's sort of like the establishment of her as a person that will follow orders to the most part but will also question things because she has a very specific idea of what's right mm. and uh you know loyalty and 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 following the rules will take her to a certain point and then after that she'll be like well i mean this just doesn't seem right like 
uh, like are the rules correct and a lot of inquisition like her inquisition story is like like am i doing the right thing uh overall mm-hmm. uh within this organization uh both in terms of the inquisition and in the seekers so mm-hmm. and and like the setup we get for her story early on is like very seeker focused we get uh she's one of the characters that has those missions that you can do on the side where you basically go kill people and get approval but i didn't find that cassandra was a hard character to build approval for i know ken mm-hmm. you're probably a little bit different yeah, i'm gonna say be for yourself <laughs> as the the mage that loves to say that there is no god uh you, you maybe had an uphill battle there no. um i mean we we talked earlier this podcast you've already you had the scene where she basically is like i want nothing to do with you at like the second you got to Skyhold, <laughs> yeah, just generally like her demeanor towards me has not been positive, and I feel like honestly, like she was like the character that I think that's really sold me on the idea that maybe like the friendship rivalry path of Dragon Age Two is not the way to go because it felt much more natural and like really like I feel like I had to earn her trust back because mm. like I mean, not from you know from the outset she doesn't like me so like there's like a, a better arc there I feel of like us becoming like enemies to friends and if it had been the friendship rivalry path like she would have just like kind of locked on to one side of the thing and she just not been able to stand me the entire game so yeah kind of a nice arc there when you don't get locked into one side or the other yeah and and the game like throws you a bunch of lifelines by being able to kill all these these red templar runaways and stuff and then um you eventually get to a point where you've built up approval with uh with her oh i didn't know that assuming approval is high or low enough i didn't know that thank you dragon age wiki apparently she can hate you so much that she asks for your help um (laughs) you you get a mission from her where she basically is like look i haven't heard from the seekers in a long time i think i got a little bit of extra dialogue here i don't know if you got it because i went templar path and she just mentioned that like hey the seekers weren't there when we went to the templar stronghold and like obviously Mm -hmm. The Lord Seeker was an envy demon and, and yada yada yada. So like uh we don't know what's going on there. The real one could still be out there. Was yours like any different than that? No, uh, she just like there wasn't anything about that. But just that she hadn't heard from them in so long, and since we obviously didn't go looking for them it, you know, she seems to she doesn't have like the, the contextual stuff from uh, stuff okay. that happened in the Tempoir mission. She's kinda like, Hey, we should check in on this. Yeah. <laughs> That's a dangling thread. Um we we track them down using the help of one of our war table buddies and then we eventually go to care oswin a fortress in ferelden where we go looking through for some templar we end up finding so this is the first thing that i really liked uh that they suddenly introduce a cult into this game that's the opposite (laughs) of the seekers it's like what is it called the um the order of fiery promise uh, which is basically like the bizarro version of the Seekers that are like, well, we think that that this is true, and so we're gonna fight the Seekers forever. And it's like it's like you uncovered this GI Joe Cobra thing that was happening <laughs> all along under the surface, and you just now learned about it. And Cassandra's like, oh yeah, you know the the feud between us and the the Seeker of the Fiery. Like, yep, that's classic throwback rivalry you know we've been playing each other every year we won last year's match we're gonna fight again next year um that was kind of a left field throw because i was like hold on what do you mean cult and like the game 
it, it's one of the few instances that I can remember in this game, at least in a story quest, where it does the thing where you can still walk around and loot stuff, but it will pop up with the dialogue wheel to respond every now and then, which feels mm. wrong in a Bioware game. Like, that just feels wrong to do. But, like, so I'm looting these dead corpses of these cultists, and I'm doing all these investigates, like... Oh, what do you mean? These there's there's cultists that hate you. What's going on here? And as I ruffle through their pockets and stuff like, it was a bizarre, <laughs> bizarre start to this. And also, like, not to jump ahead on the page or anything, but it was, it kind of feels like their introduction didn't ultimately mean anything. Like, yeah. they kind of serve a purpose to be there as things to hit, but mm-hmm. they kind of. Are, they literally are just there to be like punching bags. I don't well, know. I mean, yeah, I mean, like the seekers themselves, like you engage with them in as much as Cassandra thinks about them and mm-hmm. the organization, but I wouldn't say they play like a huge part of yeah. it. Like they're the Chantry's detectives to be like to the to Templar Order beat cop, mm-hmm. like they're there and it's more about the chantry and the inquisition rather than the seekers as a thing that you really engage with so like that's that's what i'm saying is like to suddenly have this moment where we're like okay stop wait we gotta tell you about this ancient feud with these cultists (laughs) that we have and then move on to a point where within five minutes it's like oh never mind none of that matters anymore like that's um it was it was kind of jarring. That's that's all I'm saying. It was also kind of funny that I was like looting corpses as Cassandra was espousing exposition at me. Um, I mean, given the first three games, what's going to happen in Dragon Age Four is you're going to play a character from the Order, and then you'll find all out about that and how it connects the Seekers in depth. Mm-hmm. So so <laughs> good luck. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> um. Anyways, after we get through a bunch of killing, um, and we, we kind of learn that, okay, so like the Order of Fiery Promise is here, they're up to shenanigans, we find some dead seekers, uh, we know that Corypheus is somehow involved, and we go upstairs. <laughs> I know this is a very serious moment, I was going to say, if you're, if you're about to talk what I think you're about to talk about, this is not funny. I know this is a very serious moment, but every time someone in this video game has a normal name, it's hilarious to me. Because this dude's <laughs> name is Daniel, and, and Daniel's dying because he's got a demon inside him that's growing like an alien baby. <laughs> and Cassandra delivers the line, I'm so sorry, Daniel. <laughs> I don't know why this makes me laugh so much. It's really like dudes with normal ass names in this fantasy world. Um, I'm so Could sorry, Fred. Could be named Eric. Yeah, no, that would jar me. That would literally jar me because I'm like, why is Eric a name in this world? Um, when, when we're looking for Lord Seeker Lucius and find Daniel on the way there, old Danny boy. Oh God. <laughs> uh... Okay. Yeah, Mike, this is what I do to Ken every week. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I mean, Daniel Daniel feels like... A, a, I mean, that's almost... It's not like he, he was like Stan or something, right? Like Stan? Well, that's too close to Sten. That could, that could that's mess, true. Yeah, that's, like, that's true. Now, what if there was a Canari character named Stan the Sten? See, we're getting somewhere now. 
Um, Are we? Ken, do you, do you live with this each week? Is this? This is my life. <laughs> we have a Patreon that supports this. You should go to patreon.com slash normdfm and you can support me doing this to Ken every Two Monday night. Two years of this. <laughs> um, this isn't nearly as good as when I went on my rant about uh, how Iron Bull keeps calling creme stuff like creme brulee and there's like no idiomatic context for that phrase in the world of dragon age because france doesn't exist in thetis and so he's using a word that should not exist in dragon age to make a joke about krem's name so it's okay anyways um we find daniel and daniel's uh been corrupted which as we've learned from cassandra early on like the reason why she wants to find the seekers and you can kind of raise this worry to her very early in the quest uh like hey you know all the templar are being taken over with red lyrium and she's like no don't worry uh seekers are special they don't use red lyrium for their magic like we don't use lyrium to do our magic stuff and also uh like that somehow for some reason like makes us less susceptible to corruption um so we we find daniel and he's corrupted he's a seeker that's corrupted what's going on here uh as we find out they been essentially feeding daniel demons like he just says they've been feeding me things and i can feel the demon growing inside me so whoever is organizing this which we will find out about in a moment uh they just decided hey if we can't corrupt them from the outside with lyrium we'll just put the demons inside them (laughs) and grow the demons in them which that sucks that's a bad situation for daniel right there um but we also learned that the person who's doing it is lord seeker lucius after all uh so cassandra's whole thing about how oh well lord seeker lucius the one that we fought at the templar thing he was an envy demon he was doing bad you know the real lucius wouldn't do this well that kind of all just fell to pieces just there um lord seeker lucius has been luring seekers to this uh castle kind of one by one he's teamed up with the the cobra the order of the fiery oh god i can't remember their name order of the fiery promise yes i was right um he's teamed up with them to make demon children in stomachs of seekers and do other weird experiments uh for reasons that might get explained question mark i don't yeah we'll we'll touch on that once we get there but Ken, how are you feeling in this moment? This this ultimate betrayal of Daniel. <laughs> well, I didn't deal with the invading of Lucius, so like he was kind of like a non-factor. For, like at this point, for me, like Cassandra's just got all this investment in like this person, where maybe something mm-hmm. were on the Templar side. You're like, oh, that is a dude that I almost fought or thought I was fighting, and like have maybe like not an investment in him as a person, but like an investment in seeing what happened to him that got him to the point where Corypheus had the ability to use his likeness in the way that he did. Um, what's more interesting to me is the fact that he also tells Cassandra at this point that basically the Order has been keeping secrets from uh, all the people that are in it, and that only mm-hmm. like the the Lord Seekers know like a lot of secrets that are both, like, you know, they're for the Seekers, but they, like, they kind of have ramifications for the Chantry at large. Um, and that kind of is what sends Cassandra, like, more so than being betrayed and you know, the person that she admired at one point doing all this, knowing that maybe the entire thing is rotten is what kind of Mm -hmm. moves her on to 
what I think is one of the more interesting turns in this game for like an, for an individual character at least. Mm-hmm. And she ends up having to kill Daniel too. She's got to be the one that Mercy yeah. kills Daniel here before we move on, and like feels like a big turn. Um, Mike, I don't know if you had any thoughts on on this part or not, but yeah, I mean that's that's uh, leads to. I, believe if i remember correctly one of the conversations where she's uh, again in her mind as she prefer to uh rehabilitate organizations uh mm. for her uh the the problems are are generally a cancer that you can cut out to save the rest of the body and i think after this you have the conversation with her where she's kind of like damn i don't like i don't think i can save this like this mm-hmm. is just yeah. this is completely completely screwed and and for her that's um probably one of the 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 big moments of like her entire arc just being like no you can't save this sometimes you just have to burn it all to the ground (laughs) and start again or Uh, or that you can't fix it you can't go the other direction some people in this room might have gone the other direction (laughs) (laughs) um yeah, it's 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 interesting. So like we we climb up the stairs and we go confront Lord Secret Lucius, who can I don't know about you, but this was like one big monologue where he was just kind of saying very super villainy things, and I was mm-hmm. like, okay, yeah, you're evil, we get it. Like, mm-hmm. um, w- let's get to the part where Cassandra stabs you, because like mm-hmm. he he just kind of goes on, and so like his big revelation is that, hey, you know, we invented everything. You know, we were the Inquisition, we were before everything we made the chantry we made the circles now we think it's wrong now we think we messed up and we want to burn it all down and and build anew from the the primordial ooze that's left over and so that's where you kind of get into oh hey and that's why we're kind of teaming with griffius a little bit is that he wants to burn things down too question mark um i never really got a sense for what his plan was with all the putting demons and people and all that. Um, what? You never got a sense for all of the plans of the people who work with Corypheus? What? His, his Machiavellian <laughs> scheme was not made apparent to me <laughs> in the resolution of this quest. Um, so I, I will say, like, as somebody you mentioned before, Ken, like, maybe I have a little bit more connection because I did the Templar side instead of the Mage side, but... Um, I think my connection was more that I understood better what this meant to Cassandra, mm. that that this character like holds a high position of power and is respected, and her having the moment of saying, you know, like, oh, you know, that was just the envy demon. The real one's out there. He's got to be real. He's got to be okay. Yeah. You know, it's like if... Well, I was about to use a comparison, but we can't use that comparison anymore because the author's a turf. So I don't know what to do now. <laughs> um, damn. It'd be it'd be it'd be like <laughs> Obi Wan turned out to be. There we go. Like completely. George evil. Lucas isn't a turf. <laughs> like you found out, it's like yeah, man. No, you're you're only there because uh, Obi Wan was a Sith all the time. And yeah, yeah. Like oh, this person that you thought was like leading the way ahead and that you admired and was like a mentor to you. Well, it turns out that they're a dumb moron who puts demons in people and teams mm-hmm. up with Corypheus. Um, 
So I guess in that respect, like I like this moment for Cassandra where she's basically like, shut up, I'm going to stab you now. Um, <laughs> and, and less for the actual character of Lucius, who is not only not that memorable of a character because he looks like a potato that I left in the oven too long, but he also is like, he was a level seven when I fought him. I don't know what this game was doing with the levels, but he was the lowest level character that I'd fought in like multiple hours in this game and i kind of just like stabbed him once and he died it was kind of comical but i enjoyed that a great deal but ken did you like find this this sort of last bit before we get into the part where he also gives you a book by the way the the book will become important in a moment but um lord seeker lucius doing anything for you ken no it was a weird thing like realizing that this quest was shorter than I remembered, mainly because, like, mm-hmm. I think that was mm-hmm. the moment that it occurred to me, because the fight ended so quickly that I was like, oh, <laughs> right, I guess I'm done now, all right. Yeah, yeah, it's a very, it is a surprisingly brief quest. Um, and, and like, the crux of it, like Mike was talking about, was this moment where you go back to Skyhold, and you're talking to Cassandra, and she kind of reveals everything that was in the Seeker's book that has been handed down from Lord Seeker to Lord Seeker. And there's kind of a lot of revelations that get thrown at you real quick. Um, you find out, like, first of all, and I don't know if they had addressed this already, and I just didn't remember it, or if this was, like, a big revelation for my character or what, or if you had maybe experienced something different going down the mage side, but... Cassandra is like, hey, yeah, the rebellions, like, they were kind of caused by Kirkwall, but also the mages found out that you could reverse the right of tranquility, uh, which is for those who have been playing for a long time, you know, but it's where they can basically just turn off your magic, but it also makes it so the person can't dream or have emotions anymore. Um, the, the mages found out that you can reverse the right of tranquility, or rather that the Chantry had knowledge of how to do it and we're just not doing it. Um, and I'm, and I'm, I don't entirely remember the conversation, so forgive me if I get the details wrong, but they mm-hmm. did it to her? Yes. With so a, that, a uh, one of faith. Yes. And that's why. that's part of why she believes so hard. Uh-huh. She, um, you find out that basically the thing that they do with seekers to give them powers specifically with cassandra is that they make them go through this ritual that is essentially like being made tranquil and then they uh have the person do this other ritual um i'm trying not to use a reference to an anime actually mike is on the show so you would maybe know this anime but ken does not know this anime even though i told him to watch it many times but it's kind of like from the new world um okay yeah yeah where they they take away the person's like emotions and feelings and all that and then they give it back to them through another form so they can only use it through that form uh that's like a very crux part of from the new world but uh which is a great anime everyone should watch it i love that anime but (laughs) um it's uh that's what they did with cassandra is that she basically seals away her emotions and her dreams and all that and it's given back when she summons a spirit of faith that i mean essentially kind of possesses her it's it's kind of unclear how that part works Uh, i wasn't sure if that meant that it was a possession or if she was just like bestowed abilities that gave her back 
her you know emotions and dreams and also made her more powerful but yeah like there's also this implication that because it is a spirit of faith that she's now imbued with this desire to have faith even though she might not personally have that motivation um and also that not only did they invent the right of tranquility but they've always known how to reverse it like it's not like a recent discovery was made they have known how to reverse it since it was created as an institution and they've just never done it um so this is cassandra's moment of like this is rotten to the core like all the way down this is down to the roots rotten and she just has kind of a crisis of faith where she's like hey what what do i do with the seekers because she's kind of the the lead person left the one that everyone is going to look towards and you can kind of sway her in different ways to be like maybe you just don't reform the seekers maybe the seekers were a bad idea or maybe you reform them and make them better which is the option that i went with because that's kind of how i've always felt cassandra is like she's somebody who can rebuild and build better but uh ken i'm interested in hearing what you went with so i told her that maybe it's not worth bringing it back and it was for a multitude of reasons one of which is the fucking chantry so no two um <laughs> as it as good as her intentions might be i don't think that pretty much any arm of the chantry has ever really is is free of sin basically like they mm. and as much as she wants to, you know, bring this back, like, what is the end goal of the Seekers? Like, what is, like, what do they, like, sure, they made the, their methods different, but their ultimate goals are still the same, and it's all in the name of spreading the Chantry. And part of me, is, like, also feels for Cassandra, because I'm like, you have been completely changed by this, and, like, to, to some extent, not of your own will. Maybe, like, if you leave this behind, you have opportunities to maybe seek out other things, like something else... You, like there is another purpose for your life if you don't dedicate it to the thing that has ultimately mm-hmm. done harm to everybody that has come into contact with it. And then there's a personal like mage side of me is like, oh, they are responsible for this very heinous thing. Like it is framed as like the worst thing that can happen to a mage in this universe. And knew a voice to reverse it and chose not to. I'm just like, what good is left of this? Like what? Sure, you can reform it and make it better, but I don't think you can reform something that is by its nature harmful. Mm. See, my, my question has always been, the, the implication of, of, of what I got is that essentially what they were creating with Cassandra's and the, 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 is more of whatever Anders was. Yeah. And yeah. that didn't turn out too well. so so i was kind of like like i mean you've already fucked up with the tranquil part um but i don't think knowledge of the reversal thing would be a net positive like cassandra is just the the functioning alcoholic of the seekers (laughs) to to be completely like to, to have a metaphor like i generally like you guys fell because this process as a whole is is entirely screwed now uh for her benefit i believe when i played it the first time i was like yeah i mean you're you're a good egg you can you can rebuild it and make it better 
because uh, she really seemed like she wanted to. Um, mm. But I mean, uh, uh, part of my issue with uh, Dragon Age Inquisition as a whole is there's no real win on either side. And that always sort of bothered me. Mm. Uh, like when you you finally like do each each side, it's like I don't I don't really feel like there's a win here. Uh, whether you're you're hunting Templars or you're hunting mages, and right that like everybody's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think we mentioned this like when we were doing our the the episode we did where we had the branching mage and templar options i think i brought up that i've been looking in guides and stuff like that and people had said on on message boards and stuff like really all you were doing was picking which corypheus toady you want to deal with for part of the game and then picking which group of npcs you want to fight more in the world like whether you want it to be mages or whether you want to be templars and other than that there's not really too much of a difference between the paths like there there is exposition that is different i suppose but yeah it's weird to think that there wasn't really a weight given to either side and i guess it should be that way because it would be weird if one side was like ultimately better (laughs) to do than the other but also um it feels kind of weird when it it's like okay you're really just making an option select here and whichever one you go with is the one you go with and, and that's the way it is but i don't know yeah because i i feel like up to up to inquisition i i probably felt probably how kenneth plays all the games even though i don't play mages that the mages are for the most part yes dangerous demons we acknowledge that but the Templars were always a little bit too, too ready to go. Mm. Yeah. Um, and Inquisition is the one where I'm like, damn, you guys just, both sides just suck. And I, I, <laughs> I, I don't know if that was a, a time thing. Like there was maybe like a third option or maybe more fleshing out of either side. Like they sort of played second banana both sides to Corypheus who ultimately played oh, second I banana see, I to, see what you're saying. Yeah. like yeah I, that that was that was part of probably my biggest problem with Inquisition in a story side there's there's kind of like an like a staircase effect going on where it's like okay well you've dealt with this evil but that wasn't the big evil don't worry about that because here's the next big evil and then here's the next big evil and you don't really feel like there was a conflict resolved just kind of like oh well we're just moving on to the next thing is, right. is that kind of what you're gonna yeah because they're they're the both sides templar mages are so like bottom tier that they're just kind of despite the history that you've had in previous games just mm-hmm. kind of organizations that are there as a face and then mm-hmm. as you pointed yeah. out even yourself which which side do you want to kill more <laughs> in all of these dungeons, like, who who do you want to like slash at uh, for the most part? Uh, and to be honest, the Templars are probably the easier ones to slash at. So, <laughs> oh, I don't know. I'm playing a rogue character, and there's always like, I'll see a group of mages approaching, and I'll be like, that dude in the back, 
he's getting stabbed like he just he doesn't get to play like he <laughs> he's out immediately at the start of every fight <laughs> so um i appreciate that whereas every time i see a templar i'm like oh that asshole's wearing armor he doesn't have a book that's mean <laughs> wear cloaks i want to stab um yeah yeah i see what you're getting at there and i i think ultimately with cassandra like the choice comes down to like kenneth and 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 you mike bull said it's whether like kind of what she wants to do and and the one thing i did like about it was even after i made my choice it kind of felt like cassandra just took it in consideration and then moved Mm -hmm. on because at least in my case like i was like oh you should rebuild it you should make it better and she was just like thank you for speaking with me that was it that was the end of it and and i was like oh okay so she's not like cool i'm just going to do whatever you want me to do i mean ultimately she will do whatever i say because i'm the protagonist of the video game world but um she's she kind of has that moment where it's almost like just a tiny acknowledgement of she is the guiding force in her own life there Mm -hmm. and and you know she is taken in the due advisement of a good friend but she's not going to make decisions solely based off of what you say and even you know regardless of whether game mechanics make that real or not like that moment in writing was was really interesting um yeah yeah and and i mean it's a it's a it's a good play uh it's one that happens to liliana as well but uh Mm -hmm but she'd be tripping so at least <laughs> at least at least um cassandra is not so. um look at we're can we're gonna have to cut that sound bite and just put it in when we do the leliana episode <laughs> we have our in the field reporter mike here to tell us about liliana liliana what's going on <laughs> um so that's that's like the super dark serious like faith searching side of cassandra but i think one of the reasons why this character sticks out for people like when we did our panel she was i want to say she ended up like top of the winter palace right when we did our panel um and it was like pretty unanimously agreed on um i think some people wanted skyhold but i can't remember it was only like a couple weeks ago ken you're the one who has like photographic memory what (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like it was, yeah, I mean, it was, she ended up Winter Palace, and you and I yeah. were both like Skyhold, but then you were like, uh, but I could concede to Winter Palace, and I was like, you're a coward. Oh, okay, so Ken's photographic memory only extends to ways in which he can uh, undermine me, uh, as we all know. <laughs> <laughs> it actually does, it's a little wild. It's kind of true. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Ken has receipt memory, um, you know, he just always has it on me. Um... <laughs> I will say then the reason why I like Cassandra a lot um, and why I romanced her the first time I played this game is that she's also got that fun, quirky side, and that's shown in her other two companion quests, one of which is a pretty short... I mean, I, calling it a fetch quest seems wrong because it is, like, one of the gift quests, essentially. Yeah. But whereas the other gift quests kind of just feel like, oh, you know, you do this thing to get a thing from a merchant and you give it to Josie and she really likes it. And that's great. Not to downplay that at all, but this one is really fun because I feel like it plays on the strengths of what dragon age is. So Mm -hmm. guilty pleasures is where you can sneak up on Cassandra while she is reading 
one of Varric's novels, uh, Swords and Shields, <laughs> which is actually one of the ones that's hinted at in Dragon Age 2, uh, and is also hinted to be about Aveline, I think. But um, she's reading it, and she's just absolutely enthralled by it, and she wants to read the next one, uh, and you have to kind of go talk to Varric and talk him into reading the thing. And and the best part is that Varric is like, oh, this book is selling like shit. Like, nobody <laughs> likes it. And then he's both shocked to find out that someone likes it, and then shocked even more that it's Cassandra that likes it. Um, and so you have to then... You're allowed to give it to Cassandra. He will let you give it to Cassandra if he is present for it. Um... <laughs> Like, the dynamic of these two characters was built up a lot in Dragon Age 2, and obviously Varric, major character in Dragon Age 2, and Cassandra was part of the narrative framing of that game, but there are a lot of things in this game, in this narrative, that I feel like plays off of that relationship well. Like, we talked about when you go to Skyhold, and Varric's like, okay, it's time for me to call up a friend, and Cassandra, like, throws a mm. shit fit because she's like you've known where hawk was this whole time and you never told me and all that um but this is like a fun play on it and also like we talked way at the beginning of this podcast about the anthology aspect and i think this is one of the ways that it works is when you can see these characters carrying forward and having that relationship even when it's not like hawk's not around you're not in kirkwall but they still have that relationship even when they're you know miles and miles away from where you initially saw that relationship begin so mm. I, this is maybe one of my favorite bits in dragon age in terms of building up character and relationships between characters mm. i don't know how y'all felt about it ken how do you feel uh it was a nice sort of because i got it fairly quickly after i finished request and mm -hmm. up to this point wait this had not been scene eye to eye constantly butting heads and it was a nice scene to get immediately after like the really heavy stuff because it kind of I, I like to think that like oh my my inquisitor and cassandra like they bonded over the fact like even if they didn't agree with how everything like how i uh suggested that she go forward there was at least an understanding there so like we were at a point where we could have these like very casual funny moments um and, it, and immediately, um, we'll, we'll talk about Wicked Grace next week, but it immediately followed by Wicked Grace, and she was there, and like they were just having like these normal fucking conversations. So it was like humanizing in a way, and not to say that like I needed, not to say that I didn't have like a sort of sense of her humanity, but it was like a point where the relationship kind of solidified itself as a friendship instead of like two bitter rivals that fucking couldn't stand each other but had to work together. So mm -hmm. that's that's where this scene sits with me. Mike, any thoughts on it? I mean, I enjoyed it, except for the fact that um, my hawk and my character looked the same. Um, <laughs> so it was like two bros. It was just like, here's hawk and here's my get my inquisitor, and they're 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 essentially the same guy. This is real weird. Like, is anybody <laughs> else seeing this? Is anybody? No one's gonna come. All right, that's fine. That's fine. Um, I enjoyed that moment, and though we haven't talked about, it, I enjoyed the 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 culmination, not the second part uh, of the romance quest. Uh, both yeah. make her very uh, human, uh, and 
sad. Like, I like the idea of her being Varric's fan. Uh, my, my biggest problem is I don't like Varric. Uh, that's oh. my secret sin. I, I, I just, like, I get the idea of him. I just don't like the character. And in and, and Dragon Age 2, uh, if I was able to put Varric somewhere else, uh, go away. Go away. Um, this, is, this is fascinating because we've had this discussion <laughs> to the disdain of others on this podcast where i can i i think it was was it during our panel that we like i might have been the one who said it that like varick is very much a narrator like he's just a narrator or was it you it was it's probably you because you're gonna remember and you're gonna say it was me not you and that's (laughs) and that's how i remember things now it was me it was you yeah see i just gotta remember that you are the person who says things um (laughs) but yeah the idea that varick it's kind of just a narrator in Dragon Age 2 and like he's a bit more of his own character in Inquisition mm, right. and I, I'm looking forward to talking about that once we get there because I think his stuff in Inquisition is really something else and lets him evolve as a character outside of just a narrative construct but right. I can totally I can totally see that take like hey Varric you know well well much well much <laughs> yeah like I don't even like I just don't like him I just like yeah yeah so like Damn. um I, I, I tended to prize uh, the connections and interactions between me and Cassandra more than necessarily mm-hmm. seeing them, although that's a good narrative carryover carry mm-hmm. in terms mm-hmm. of everything. Well, let's talk about the romance then, because this is also probably my favorite romance in this game. I mean, oh, Solus, so good. Solus has good like story content in it, and like you know obviously big reveals about the world and such but um the cassandra one's just so damn cute (laughs) like it's um you know basically she's like i can tell that you've been coming on to me uh but you're the inquisitor and i'm the general and i want a storybook romance and and like it's very much this you're going around and getting flowers and candles and a poetry book to just do this like perfect evening and all that and it's just it's such a break from what so much of dragon age has been that like it just feels out of place almost like in in the ways that some of the best romance scenes in mass effect have been like the other one the other romance quests i find myself thinking about a lot when i go through these romance uh things that we do for the podcast so i think about the tolly one where you're having to get all these different like equipment and things like set up a safe way for you and tally to like be together and it's like framed in this really different way than all the other romances are where it's just like yeah garris is just hitting on you <laughs> like yeah, um, yeah I, I enjoy that the, the beginning of this is sort of like she's like hey i don't want this to be awkward mm-hmm. but have you been flirting with me if you have yeah. and you're like yeah i have and then she's like that's not good at all damn it (laughs) and then she like goes away and then she comes back she's like but i really do want to flirt more Mm -hmm. (laughs) but i want i want this to be a full-on ah and then she goes away again and it's just like oh that's that's really cute like like you you are definitely in your thing as seeker and you're trying to 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 keep this all proper but but you really do want want to date don't you uh and that's just like a cute start and then of course as you were talking about the culmination of it where you like call her out and 
do the whole poetry and she's just like oh <gasps> it's off her feet yes oh it's <laughs> it's so good it's it's really good oh ken anything anything to add about how good the romance is uh, i mean obviously i've never really experienced it but i i just i love that cassandra is like a total dweeb underneath it all and just like <laughs> mm-hmm. i i like the through line of like you know you get, get this like right after you catch her reading these cheesy romance novels and just like un- like you know like we've been saying like underneath it all she's she has this heart that she you know has a very particular way that she wants things and this kind of romanticized idea of how this is all supposed to work but you know it, it's you're in a relationship with somebody your, your job is to make that ideal as close as possible so mm-hmm. yeah no she's uh, you know, like, she's a lot of fun like I said she's all about repression and, and on those sides you get to see that sort of repression fall a little bit Mm-hmm. Uh, and you get to see the person uh, that is underneath all that, and I, I think that's why I, I enjoy her and I enjoyed romancing her. Yeah. Cassandra, Skyhold in our hearts on this podcast. <laughs> uh, you know, Mike, because we didn't offer you the ability to do so, do you have like a like a top three companions or whatever that you'd say from Dragon Age Inquisition? Uh, from Inquisition, give me a sec. Now, now, now I have to look to, to see the full list. Uh, um, well, it's clearly they didn't leave an impression. <laughs> I mean, they left an impression. I'm just trying to think, like, um, mm, I know I hate Cole. <laughs> well, Ken, there goes our plans. <laughs> <laughs> um... I feel like Iron Bull, Dorian, and probably Cassandra. Solidist. Uh, yeah. And yeah. then uh, I really liked. Um, was it Josephine? Yeah, Josie. The yeah, Josephine. Uh, She's not a combat character, but I, right. I enjoyed her. The 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 not secretary. Ambassador, political, yeah, yeah, like political liaison. Yeah, I really liked uh, Josephine. She was the second one that I romanced in my second playthrough. Mm-hmm. Bioware games, we always come back to romances. I always. mean, I mean, it's what you, it's what you gotta do. It just it's what you come for. Yeah, honestly, I, they like in Mass Effect. I tend to play like I'll I'll do the full Paragon. Uh, playthrough mm-hmm. that's always my first full paragon like let's do all the good stuff then i do a full renegade let's do all the bad stuff then i do a like let's just be me uh so usually like bioware games i get three playthroughs and for um the first playthrough i was full good and cassandra was my romance second one uh i broke enough to get Josephine to like me. Well, you know, Mike, I'm, I'm glad we got you on the show. I'm glad we got you in here for your Dragon Age takes, uh, especially the the ones about like Inquisition and stuff like that. You know, you are you are do I, consumer connoisseur of open world games. You have played maybe the most open world games of anyone I've ever met. Uh, it is both a gift and a curse i feel um, yeah yeah i i enjoy open world games and i enjoy them from the like the collectathon thing that people hate mm-hmm. like 
I enjoy it. Like, I treat it like gardening. I'm just like, okay, let's <laughs> section off this chunk of the world and let's just grab all the collectibles and finish all of the content in this chunk of the world. Oh, this is good. This is relaxing. Let's move on to the next one. So, like, I, the the gardening metaphor is probably my closest. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it's mm-hmm. yes, for a lot of people, very medial tasks, collectathons, and, and doing the same, like, quest over and over again. But for me, it's it's relaxing. See, I knew you would like Death Stranding. When, when we were playing it last year, I was like, Mike is going to love this game. <laughs> um, and I did. I did, despite talking shit about kojima the entire time leading up to it (laughs) (laughs) but but i I want to pose this to you then hinterlands where are you at on the hinterlands i like the hinterlands i I I didn't have hinterlands defender too yeah i I really didn't have a problem with it. it i i do agree that recommending it for somebody else it utterly destroys the pacing if you stay there forever (laughs) because you like walk out of it and you're just like like a a a monster destroying like grand inquisitor who no one can stop and and everyone's like oh hey well you're now in charge let's work it up and you're already like no i got this y'all we're we're just gonna go out and kill all these people because i spent all my time in the hinterlands (laughs) and i'm ready for anything (laughs) I have been training in the hinterlands. I'm ready to stab Corypheus once. Right? Like 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 your inquisitor walks into the hinterlands with armor and then walks out like shirtless, like with like a like a workout headband on, like I'm ready, y'all. He's got a gun. It's it's like it's like Hades where like he has a gun and you're not sure how a gun made it into this world, but he he found the one there there was the one gun and the inquisitor found it uh <laughs> god can we should do hades on the show we should find a way to map hades to our structure and do hades because i just keep thinking about it. mike have you started playing hades yet I you've been not, telling me that you're gonna start i'm going to i promise but see look i had Baldur's gate 3 mm-hmm. and that that yeah so that's how that was i have games ahead I still have an Oculus Quest that I have to review. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> before we let you, one last thing. Baldur's Gate 3, I'm glad you brought it up. Um, that game, obviously, like Baldur's Gate, is Bioware way back in the days, uh, in the olden days of RPG. Uh, and so now Larian has taken up the mantle. Uh and I feel like there's almost this narrative running and, you know, maybe this is just from Ken and I both being in a space where we're around other Bioware fans who are craving for any kind of content, anything like crumbs at this point. Uh, but Baldur's Gate 3 weirdly seems like it's going to be, if not the thing that Bioware fans want, then something that will at least tide them over until a Dragon Age exists in the world. Like, where where are your thoughts on that? From what I've played so far, uh, which is just a scant hours, uh, it definitely feels like what Larian has learned, like the core combat of Baldur's Gate feels uh, definitely like carrying forward what they've already had with Divinity Original Sin 1 and 2. What's improved is definitely the presentation. Um, mm-hmm. And 
the 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 writing is is snappier the the voice acting is better and it's just presented in a more cinematic aspect that reminds heavily of uh the bioware games uh overall now uh i don't know how far the characters will go because again i'm just like starting at the beginning Mm-hmm. But there are definitely characters that have the Bioware. There's uh, the vampire rogue Astarion. Uh, yeah, I don't know if I'm saying his name right. Probably, like, to me, I was like, okay, this this would be a Bioware character. Mm. Like, the snarky, uh, Loki-style vampire rogue is just like... Okay, yeah, no, this this really feels like a Bioware character. In a way that characters in Divinity Original Sin 2 felt a little bit more... Uh, they were well-written, but Larian had a definite style, and I don't know if the change in presentation has changed how they sort of approach characters. I mean, I, I was thinking about this in terms of watching like the dev diaries leading up to it and all that, but like the just the way they were presenting it i was thinking in my head i was like you know why does this appeal to me as something to fill that need and the weird part is like bioware games can kind of be all over the map like kotor and dragon age and mass effect are all made by the same studio and kind of follow it's kind of the same structure but they play very differently especially the combat like origins is nothing like mass effect 2 is nothing like kotor and in that sense, I was like, okay, well, what's the through line here that connects all those for me? And it is that, it's that presentation, like that level of we're going to have not this top-down reading text on the screen, but we're going to have characters talking to each other and dialogue choices and um, different things, you know, changing the direction of the way that it could go and kind of playing characters. And honestly, like romance, I feel like one of Bioware's big pillars is the smoochin <laughs> and it's um when they came out there with an entire like eight minute dev diary where they were like yeah don't worry you can play whatever race you want whatever you know gender sexuality whatever you want to do you do that and we've mo-capped it all baby we got diagrams we, we figured yeah it out. and i, I think that the, the mo-cap really does help like the mo-cap is just like oh this is very good uh, except when it occasionally, like, it, it, we will say this is early access, yeah, like yeah. alpha level, and sometimes like, like a character will uh, supposed to be holding a dagger in their hands, but the hand isn't closed around it yet, so it's just like uh, a flat palm with the dagger in it. Um, but perfectly balanced as all things should. Be. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that actually fixed. I, I started through again because they, they had patched it, and they fixed that relatively quickly. Um, but the rest of the presentation is, is very well done, especially for Larian standards. So, like, the f- jump from Divinity Original Sin 2 to this uh, is impressive to see in the studio. Maybe that will be the thing that carries us over. Maybe, Ken, that can be one of the games we play 
on future episodes of Normandy FM, because after all, we are Normandy FM, a Bioware retrospective podcast that I guess we can start bending the rules on once we uh, run out of Bioware games. Uh, but as of right now, we are working through our Dragon Age playthrough, and uh, because of our lovely supporters on Patreon.com slash Normandy FM, we have reached... Uh, the Jade Empire bonus, so we will be going through to Jade Empire. We'll be playing that uh, after the new year starts. And if you want to see us keep playing games from then on, if you want to see us keep carrying on, you can go to patreon.com slash normdfm and uh, boost us there. You can support us, help keep the lights on, you know, pay for the the soundcloud hosting we got to do, pay for the uh, games that Ken and I have to purchase, the Dragon Age DLC, you know, it's a whole thing. Um, but yeah, it's every week we like to thank the people that donate at a certain tier. Uh, this week, those people are Kevin Kulikowski, Chris Johns, Alice Hawk, Colin Just Colin, Just Reds, Jest, Zach Mickle, and The Wedge of Destiny. Thank you all so much for contributing. And if you don't have the means to contribute, you can just head over to twitter.com slash show, and you can follow us there. And we post all of our wonderful episodes every week and also link out to all the stuff that we will be doing. Mike... Where can the folks at home find you, find your work, follow what you do? You can find me every day on the front page of usgamer.net, and you can also find me musing about everything under the sun on Twitter at automaticzen.com. Automatic Zen. Uh, Mike, it was great having you on. We're so happy to have you on. Thank you, thank you. I love being on. And and maybe I like I love Jade Empire, but I don't remember mm-hmm. it at all, and I don't have time to play it. So. <laughs> well, you know, maybe you, you do what most of our guests do, and you watch a brief YouTube video, and then you come back on. <laughs> That's true. Oh, uh, I mean, not to not to give a little peek into how the sausage is made here at the Normandy FM Sausage Factory, but it's not like we expect all of our guests to replay the game. <laughs> <laughs> all over again these are very long games it's mm. already an endeavor for ken and i to be playing these again <laughs> uh well maybe not for ken ken you are the one that powers through every time like i'm the one who's like oh well i played the stuff for this week like an hour before we started the episode recording and you're like oh i'm four episodes ahead of you um yeah i mean i'm mm, i think i've as of this i got like i literally am four episodes ahead and like i've been i've been good about like not playing any further ahead just because you want to keep I, it fresh. The, yeah. It's, I, I've learned that it's like counterintuitive to the show that we do. So yeah. There was there was the one season of Mass Effect 2, I think, where after we got out of Mass Effect 1, you and I were both so excited mm-hmm. to play Mass Effect 2 that we both binged it like in the, the entire course of that one week. And yep. then we were like, uh-oh. <laughs> We've got a podcast this for like well, three or idea. four months. <laughs> yeah. Uh, maybe we shouldn't have done that. Yeah. Uh, the person who we will have on next week, who, to my knowledge, has not blitzed through Inquisition, but maybe they have, and they will surprise me, is the one and only John Warren. See, Ken, you're always... I finally bring one of my coworkers onto the podcast, and you're like, okay, double up with another fanbite person. <laughs> <laughs> Let's bring my boss on. We're going to have Ken's boss on to talk about Varric, to provide a rebuttal to the slandering of Varric that has happened today on this podcast down with the dwarf (laughs) Uh, John will be here to defend the good name of Varric and if you at home like Cole 
man, you should talk to us. (laughs) (laughs) But for everyone else, for Mike, for Ken, for myself, thank you so much for listening. We will see you next week on Normandy FM. We have watched and waited 